All right, well, good evening, guys. Make sure you're at a table with at least a couple bodies. We're going to do some table talk tonight, so whether you like it or not, you're going to get to know the person right across from you, so make friends early. <laughs> but thank you so much for joining us on our Wednesday service here at Journey. Um, whether you're one of the warm bodies here, if you're joining us on live stream, or if you're listening on our podcast later on, we're so excited that you're a part of this family. Um, and thank you for kicking the month of May off right. No better way to, to start it than in church with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So thank you for joining us. Um, give a hand for Jeff Foss and Elena, who set the evening up beautifully. Thank you to Sally for cooking a wonderful meal. We got so many cool people here. Uh, I don't know, I'm super excited because when you're able to hear one of the youth get up here, um, I've gotten a chance to see Elena grow from entering junior high and now she's graduating that. And it's amazing to see young people on fire for God. So any chance we get them to have, be up here and speak is amazing. So I'm super pumped up already. So you guys are in for a treat. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> if this is one of your first times here, my name is Dustin and I am a avid watcher of television. Or at least I used to be um, before my son entered the picture. Now it's on Disney Channel all the time, which I'm cool with. I love Disney. But um, when I have my free time, when everyone goes to bed, I'm someone that likes to watch uh, these docudramas, the court cases that are like coming back up that have been 10 to 15 years in the past. I love watching all these docu-series. Um, all the ones from the Melendez brothers to the Scott Peterson trial, all the way to that TV show that won an Emmy, The, the People versus O.J. Simpson. Love watching all of them. Because the moment you start watching these things, the moment you become an expert at the judicial system. It's amazing. Because I can sit down there and I, I looks like I have the wrong calling because I know how to be a lawyer in that type of atmosphere. Uh, <laughs> you get to figure out all these little odds and ends that they have in there. So you have the honorable judge that just gets to sit there and either fall asleep or listen to what's going on. He has to look important for a couple times. You have the plaintiff who is bringing this lawsuit forward against the defendants. I know. I don't even have a criminal justice degree, and you guys get this tonight. So this one's free, um, listening to what we get to be a part of. But as you watch these shows, you are formulating an opinion. You get to see what's going on in the minds of other people. So these two cases are being brought forward, and we have the plaintiff side, and they'll bring in this amazing witness, and let's just say he's a doctor, and this doctor will say, well, he was fine, you know, as I checked him out, and now he's dead, so it's obviously that guy's fault. And so you're sitting there like, oh, guilty, that was a great point, because he's a doctor, and you trust doctors, and it's wonderful. And then the defense has a chance to come up and start talking, and they come up and they'll bring this smoking gun witness that no one's thought about. And that person will start, you know, walking around and say, well, I saw this person walking her dog at this time. So that means there's no way that he could have been anywhere near her because she was already doing something. And you're like, oh, he's right too. All right, innocent, innocent. The guy's innocent. Poor guy going through all this. So you formulate these opinions based on all this court case that's brought forward. And this is actually what we are going to be digging into tonight. So you guys have officially entered 
You guys are you're gonna love it. Ooh, cross court. <laughs> Boom. So <laughs> million dollar graphics right here. I conquered this word art. But you guys are now a part of cross court. I will be the judge, Dustin Anderson. Whether you knew it, you guys all signed up for jury duty tonight. So you are the jurors of this case. We are going to have the one side, which is the Jewish religious leaders, versus Jesus Christ. Because now, as we're going, as we're closing out chapter 5, we are going to hear some testimony of who Jesus is. He is testifying on his own behalf of charges brought against him for what other people are thinking. And now he gets to, say, prove his case uh, moving forward. So... I always thought, I'm, I'm going to tell you right up front, I got some cheesy jokes. So as we're getting moving forward, this whole story is about Jesus. So I just want to like have an image and swear Jesus into this court case. So, <laughs> this is good stuff. I swear that the evidence that I shall give, Jesus, shall it be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you, you. Yes, I don't. I'm not going to lie, I was sitting there busting up at like 1 in the morning last night going over this, like this is good. All right, but we're going to go ahead and get started, so please rise. Another one. It's going to be all message, guys. This is all. <laughs> please open your Bibles to John chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 31 through 32. We'll have the Sky Bible up on the screens. We also have a Bible table in the back, whatever you need. We just want you to have a Bible in your hands. So, if I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. But someone else is also testifying about me. And I assure you that everything he says about me is true. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this evening that you can come together and we can read these amazing facts about you. That you can just put it all on display. That whether someone's, this is the first time they're opening the Bible, or you're a seasoned veteran at this thing called faith, Lord, that you just open our eyes even more, you open our hearts even more, that we're able to experience just how powerful and who you truly are, Lord. We thank you for this chance to just understand everything about you. It's your name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Please be seated. <laughs> uh, this is going to be great. Um, so I want to catch us up to speed. I don't want to go too far into it because it seems like this chapter has gone on for a long time. Uh, I started it and we started talking about the man who got healed that was uh, lame for 38 years. But the big point of this is that he was healed on a day of Sabbath. And so... Uh, as the guy was walking around and Jesus presented himself to him, he went and told the religious leaders, oh, it was this guy Jesus. So they were already irked at Jesus. Throw on top of that what Jesus just threw into the picture. Uh, he threw three amazing claims about who he truly was. He claimed to be equal with the Father. He claimed the power to give life. And he gave the authority to judge as well. Three amazing things that really made them mad. And so they want this time to have him in front of them. 
So I ask Jesus as I stand here next to the defendant, then Jesus, are you saying that you are God? In the light of those claims, do you have evidence to back this up? You know, it's only natural that if someone comes with this huge accusation to say, oh, yes, guess what? I'm God. You have to have some stuff to back it up. It's like saying that you know spreadsheet on your resume, and then you're doing the spreadsheet and work. You're like, oh, I don't really know spreadsheets. You have to be able to back it up at certain times. This is what Jesus has to go to at this time. These critics had every right to question what this man was saying. So Jesus begins his case in verse 31 by stating that he realized and accepts without proof that his testimony is invalid and unworthy of belief. It says, if I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. And Jesus isn't saying that it's all a lie, that he just made it all up. What he's saying is that his testimony alone would not hold up in a court of law. He needs to have more things behind it. And where do we get that idea? Well, we'll go back to the Old Testament, and we're going to go to Deuteronomy to see where this whole idea came from. Chapter 19, verse 15, it says, You must not convict anyone of a crime on the testimony of only one witness. The facts of the case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. According to the law of Moses, a person must be able to back this up having two or three witnesses. It was not sufficient enough to have a single witness with this case. So Jesus is coming forward with all this ammo of what he is going to present at this time. So Jesus is getting ready to present his case. And he calls his first witness to the stand. John the Baptist. The courtroom gasps. Because look, at he's a weird looking dude and he just enters the courtroom. All right, so back to Scripture. In verses 33 through 35, In fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist, and his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need of human witnesses, but I say these things so that you might be saved. John was like a burning and shining lamp, and you were excited for a while about his message. Jesus hits him hard right off the bat with his first witness, a very credible person to step forward to back up the claims of what Jesus is saying. In fact, he uses what they have already used towards his own case. And he says back, we already read it in John chapter 1, that they sent their own people to listen to him. The Jewish religious leaders sent people to check on who John the Baptist was. And in John chapter 1, verse 19, it says, This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, Who are you? So they want to know who Jesus is. They want to know about these claims. So he brings up someone that they know all too well. Someone that they has a prestigious name being a prophet. Someone that these religious leaders look to 
in the Old Testament all over. They wanted to have the prophets tell them all these things. So he brings up a prophet to be his first witness to back up his claims. And his resume spoke for himself. He was out there preaching. He, he led the way for Jesus. He was warning people and telling people about him. And during that preaching time, they went to go check him out. They're like, hey, are you the Messiah? Because like, you're doing all these amazing things. So they actually tried to ask if he was the coming Messiah. They respected at one point what he was doing. They were attracted to John, but after a little bit of time, they started to turn him off. They liked what he was saying until they realized the truth that he was actually saying. They didn't want to hear it anymore. But nevertheless, Jesus reminds them about John and how highly regarded he is. And that everything that John was doing was backing up the claim that Jesus is who he says he is. That's that moment where you guys as the juries are kind of sitting back, taking notes. They're like, oh, point for Jesus on that one. This is a strong claim to start off with. His next witness is even more powerful to back up the claims of who he is. His next witness that he calls a stand will be his miracles. Yeah. And there's tons of miracles. It's really amazing. But in verse 36, it outlines, But I have a greater witness than John. My teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish. And they prove that he sent me. The works that Jesus is talking about here are his miracles. And these powerful miracles are ways to point of who Jesus is. That Jesus has the authority and he's able to do these things. It points everything about him in God's direction. That he gets to be the spokesman for God the Father. And these miracles are used to show us who he is. So we not only read, but we experience it along with him. We're able to understand more and fully who he is by these miracles that go on. So I want to take our first recess, all message recess, for our table talk. Yes, this is, I'm, this is so good. I'm telling you, I was laughing all at home. I don't care if you guys laughed. Look back in the Gospel of John and find three miracles. There are seven miracles that John puts in his Gospel. And we've already covered three of them, so I want us to go through the first three so you guys get to go on a little scavenger hunt. That's why you need your Bibles. And I want you to find the three and then talk about how that changed the people around him at that time. And what do his miracles mean to you personally in your lives? I'll give you a cheat code right now. We just talked about one starting in this chapter. So good luck finding the other two and start talking. So there are two ways to kind of experience who Jesus is. We can either, A, uh, be closed off and not really wanting to hear who he is or what he can do uh, when we see miracles and we read about miracles or we experience healings for ourselves. We can try to look for someone else to give credit to other than Jesus. Or 
we can just hear about these things, read about them, and just believe who he is. There's two types of thoughts. If we're going to have our hearts closed off, or if we're going to have our hearts ready to accept who he is. Um, and I have a couple of scriptures that I just want to go back to, because Jesus knew this all along as well. He will talk later on, um, as we're going to visit at the end of the Gospel of John, that he'll say he already knew that these people weren't going to believe who he was. And yet he knows he's going to have to do these things to show and explain to us who he truly is. So I want to visit Luke chapter 7, 18 through 23. So John called two of his disciples and sent them to Jesus to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? When the men came to Jesus, they asked, John the Baptist has sent us to ask you, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? At that very time, Jesus cured many people of diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and granted sight to many who were blind. So he answered them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news proclaimed to them, and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. One of these moments that John sets him off. Who is this guy? This is who he is. Okay, cool. That's Jesus. That's the Messiah. I'm good with that. And he starts moving forward. But Jesus also knows there's going to be people that's going to come across him that's going to need a little extra persuasion, that are going to need to experience him a little bit more. So in John chapter 3, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees whose name was Nicodemus, a member of the council. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Someone that's a group that's totally against this movement of the Messiah eventually starts to come on board because he's able to realize and see all that Jesus is able to do and the authority that he does have. And lastly, like I mentioned, at the end of John in chapter 20, now Jesus performed many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples that are not recorded in this book. But these are recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He knows what he's going to have to go through. He sees all of this. He understands the proof that he has to bring forward to explain who he is for each and every one of us. He knows that our hearts can be closed off, our minds can be erased, all these things. He's ready and he's willing to get into our lives, but we have to let him. Nicodemus had a right that no one can do the things that Jesus did unless he was connected with God. No one. His track record speaks for himself. As we continue on in verse 37. And the Father who sent me has testified about me himself. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face. And you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. And this is cool the way that, that Jesus is actually changing his tone as he is saying these things. Up until this time, he has been defending who he is, coming up with all these claims and this concrete evidence, this is who I am. But this is the time where he switches it over and does his first objection. 
this is who I am. Who are you guys that are actually pointing the picture at me? Jesus starts to turn the tables beautifully back at these religious leaders that have been pointing the picture, the finger at him this whole time. The Lord is now taking the offensive. He not only challenges them for not receiving God's whole plan, his witness, but he's challenging them and informing them that they've rejected the true Messiah. And this is tough because I know this hits home with a lot of us here that we always cast someone in front of Jesus or look for other things. And he deserves so much more of that. That these men who consider themselves the holiest of holies, that understood everything, were missing the point and completely closed off to God because they weren't even bothering to look at who Jesus was. And so he challenges them with this new way of attack. And Jesus now calls the Old Testament scriptures to the stand. You search the scriptures. Sorry, we're going to verse 39. We're good. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. And in verse 40 it says, Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. The religious leaders knew all about the scripture. They knew every in and out. They knew every law that had ever been written, and yet they even made more laws to put on top of the laws. If you asked them questions, they could answer it, no problem. They studied it. This was their life. They knew the scriptures, and yet they didn't know the truth that was coming out of the scriptures. It is one thing to have the word in our heads, but it is another thing to have the word in our hearts. And that's something I want to say one more time, because I think that's huge for us to take out tonight. There's one thing to have the word in our heads, it's another thing to have it in our hearts. He tells him, you refuse to come to me, receive this life. These so intelligent men, devout, faithful men, the thought that knew it all, were missing the most important piece of all the scriptures. And sometimes when we think there's like a lack of information, have you noticed that when there's a lack of information, we just start spouting off more information at them so they try to understand it They're like oh, i don't really get that well let me tell you even more about it and more and more and you just like throw up all this verbiage on them and they still don't get it it's not a lack of information but an unwillingness to face the truth and accept the truth that's what's going on with these religious leaders is they're not willing to Look at the truth that's right in front of their face because they cannot be wrong. They don't want to be wrong. It sounds familiar because this is something hard for me to always walk past. Is that if, if ever I'm in the wrong, I'm always the quickest one to, like, to my defense. No, I'm not. It's not. You don't know what you're talking about. This is the same type of thing that they're going through. They think they know it all. They've put themselves up on this pedestal because they know all the information inside and out, the ups and downs, 
who is this random guy saying that he is the truth and the way? It's an upside-down moment for these men that know it all, who prided themselves on knowing it all. And now the ball is in Jesus' court as he moves forward. In verses 41 through 44, we're almost done with scriptures. You guys are doing awesome. Your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't, I know you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you in my Father's name, and you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe, for you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. And I want to get personal one more time. Because who are we looking to? Are we looking for Jesus, or are we looking more for personal praise? Are we doing things to show God's love and all that he's done for us, or are we doing it just to be put up on a pedestal so everyone can say, man, that guy's so smart, he knows everything there is to know, just so I can be up there on that pedestal? When was the last time you let God speak into your lives? And actually start moving forward with these things. Jesus moved on every single action. Jesus moved forward to bring more glory to the kingdom. We need to have that same type of way. So this last recess of the evening, our second table talk, is when was the last time you did something based off of God placing something on your heart? And it's okay to open up and say, well... You know, the last time I actually did something is because everyone else was doing it and I wanted to, like, be a part of it. That's okay. We're growing together. I want you to open up because the only way, like we said in the scriptures, they didn't want to hear the truth. They were unwilling to change. We have to be able to listen to the truth and let people speak into our lives. So I want to know the last time that you did something that God placed on your heart. So go ahead and take a, a few minutes and dig into that. You know, it's a tough thing for some of us to act upon when God puts something on our heart. It's something that we have to, for some of us, get used to. Um, first starting off, I was more of the Nicodemus type of thing, like had an understanding of who Jesus was, didn't understand all the power that he had and the authority he had behind him. So when I was actually able to experience what, who he was and all that he was able to do, uh, I'm then able to then jump on board to whatever God puts on my heart, even though it may seem crazy and outrageous at times and uncomfortable. Uh, I'm just working for God's approval, and that's what we should all look for, that God's putting on us something on our hearts, and we get the whole authority that Jesus has behind us. We've got to start moving in those little situations. So... Um, and not just do it for pats on the back and praise. It's great to get those, and I love getting little attaboys, but it's also important to do it all for the right reasons for his kingdom. Now we're going to go ahead and close out our verses tonight as Jesus calls his smoking gun witness, the most important witness that he has moving forward, Moses. Oh, 
no. Whoa. Look at him. Dude, that's a power witness right there. All right, verses 45 through 47. Yet it isn't I who will accuse you before the Father. Moses will accuse you. Yes, Moses in whom you put your hopes. If you really believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? This is a huge witness. This is a witness that the religious leaders could have used on their side of the case. This is someone that they, they loved and they were deeply involved with. This is the, the giver of all the laws. This is Moses. This is who they learned from and wanted to be like. And the, they took his laws and added even more laws on top of the laws. They love laws. He was the golden ticket they were looking for. And yet Jesus calls him up to prove the point even more so of who he is. That he pointed the way to Jesus to the scriptures they all knew and loved so much. That he told them about the Messiah that was coming, that was going to stand right in front of them. And now the one that they thought was having their back was actually going to be the ones judging them later on in life for the things that he had not looked at. But through all this, through all the witnesses, the point of all this is to show who Jesus is. If you get anything from tonight, it's to know who Jesus is and why he has this authority, the power that he has behind him. The evidence that is all throughout this book, if you open it up and look at the things that Jesus is able to do, this is all the evidence that we are going to need to show us who he is. And if anyone does not believe who he is based on this, it's because we're closing ourselves off way too much. That we're shutting down that side of letting someone in that can change our whole world. This is who Jesus is. He is the one that can heal. He is the one that can take the pain away. He is the one that can overcome all of our obstacles. He is the one continuously looking out for us. He is the one that can raise himself from the dead. He has all the power there is. He doesn't need to back up these claims. He says it when he starts off, but he does it because he knows how stubborn that we can be at times. So we need to get ready as we walk in our own everyday lives. The world doesn't want to hear about Jesus the more and more they continue to try to close them off. But if we come at them with this and our own testimonies and our own lives, you can have your own court case with them and say, you don't believe him? Well, let me just share a couple things about that. This could be the part that he's putting on your heart from here on out. It's like, tell people more about me because they need more of me in their lives. You have concrete evidence. The testimonies that you guys have experienced in your own life or in your family member's life, that's more miracles and works that Jesus talked about in this chapter. He has all authority because everything points to him. 
We have to be able to open up our hearts. We have to be able to hear the truth and let Jesus in so he can start transforming us. Take off the chains. Stop being closed off. And start opening up to the one that needs to be let in our lives. I'm excited for this next thing. I believe after I got done reading this and studying that if I was one of those religious leaders, I would have to sit there with my hands under me because I would have no answer to Jesus saying what he did. That he is able to stand up and say, okay, you want to know who I am? I got these miracles. I can do all these things. John told you who I was going to be. Moses told you I was going to be. Other prophets told you I was going to be coming. You're the ones closing me off. So now this is on you. He switched the whole thing from being a defendant to the offense. And that's how great our God is. That he can take anything and turn it around to his glory. So don't let the dead end be the end of it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this chance that we get to dive into your word, that we get to experience not only the miracles that we read throughout the Bible, but the miracles that we see in our own lives, that you continue to heal behind the scenes, that you make these testimonies and make them into the concrete evidence that other people can see, that if someone may not know you, they can get to know you just a little bit, and that's the start that we need, just a little flame can turn into the biggest fire, Lord. We ask you to continue to open up our hearts. Let it stop being closed off. We need to let you in. Because you have power over everyone. You have power over the enemy. And we have that power inside ourselves because you are with us, Lord. We love you and we thank you. And we look forward to having you challenge us to move forward. For whatever court cases come up in the future when people want to know who you are, that we are ready to answer and say who you truly are. We love you, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Case dismissed.